This is Dennis Mundy. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author, latest book, The Life of Yogananda. Uh, our guest today, Chris Grosso. Chris is a public speaker, writer, and author. His latest book, Dead Set on Living. Uh, Chris, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on with us today. Well, thank you, Dennis and uh, and Phil. I know we've take, it's taken a bit of time for us to get this scheduled, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad we did. Um, yeah. I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, and Phil, I'm, I'm very familiar with your work. Our friend uh, Dana, yeah, has, you know, has uh, he gave me your book, American Ayurveda, I believe it's called, or something yeah. to that. Mer- American, American Veda. Veda. American Veda. Yes, I loved it. So, uh, Good. and it's a pleasure to connect with you, Dennis. So, thank you, guys, thank both you. for having me. On. I'm I'm grateful. Well, well, we're looking forward to this, uh, Chris. Ever since I first heard of your work, which is actually a few years ago, but before we started the podcast. So, um, why don't we begin with letting our listeners know who you are and how you came to the spiritual work you do. Um, and one of the things that's of, of special interest to us is um, your story is very dramatic and, and, and we'd love to hear, you know, what brought you to a spiritual path and the work you yeah. do. Well, sure. I mean, it's, it's not really terminally unique in the sense that I've met many other people who, um, found their way onto the spiritual path because their life was in uh, a bit of shambles. You know, I, we could word that in a, a bunch of different ways, I suppose. But for me, um, you know, it, to make a, a very long story short, since I know we do have limited time, um, it was essentially uh, addiction to drugs and predominantly alcohol, but drugs were certainly a part of it. And uh, my life just spiraled out of control. And around 24, I hit my first detox. This was after several um, uh, jail cells, rehabs, emergency rooms, uh, detoxes, what else? Rehabs, psychiatric hospitals, <laughs> you name it. I went through it. Uh, several near-death experiences, suicide attempts, you know, all that very unpleasantness uh, that someone who struggles with alcohol and drug addiction uh, often experiences. So I got myself into school for a program um, that was focused on drug and alcohol abuse counseling. And it was at that point, this was back in, I want to say, you know, the the dates, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely accurate, but maybe around 2004, 2003, somewhere in the early 2000s, uh, a professor of mine gave me a copy of Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. And this was back before he had been on Oprah and was he was still a very obscure name at this point. And I mention that because my roots are in hardcore music and underground culture and punk rock, things like that. And um, I was still very much anti-mainstream. And had it she given it to me today, and had I still been in that mindset... I probably wouldn't have taken the time to read it. Um, But thankfully, I trusted her. She became kind of like a second mother to me um, already at that point. And to this day, I still stay in touch with her and am uh, honored to uh, still consider her a mentor to me. But so I took the book home and I was not much of a reader, if a reader at all. And I remember by the time I finished the introduction to that book, I knew my life would never be the same. Um, just by the introduction alone. Mm-hmm. And 
and you know, from there, I was living in Middletown, Connecticut. I made my the, the local library was my second home, and that's where um, I started, uh, or basically just taking out anything I could. I, I automatically resonated with pr- predominantly the mystic elements, but all of the great wisdom traditions. You know, so I was reading whether it was Yogananda, which Phil, I look forward to checking out your new book on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, from anyone from him to the more contemporary teachers like Ram Das and Ken Wilber, um, but also Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, Pema Chodron, Nagarjuna, Shankara, um, Thomas Merton, Thomas Keating. Um, the you know, usual the list- suspects. The usual exactly. Suspects, right. yeah. Ramana Maharshi, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. the list goes on and on. But it was, uh, and Adyashani, I mean, I could, yeah, just really um, all of these teachings that, um, like cut right to the core of my heart. And it helped me understand why I was so interested in, in punk rock at such an early age. I was about 13 when I got involved in that. And, and the correlation there for me was that even at 13, I was searching for something more, you know, something Mm -hmm. deeper than that was just that, you know, what you see at face value in life. And, and I was, and I did find that, and I still do continue to find that because I still listen to punk rock and hardcore music and underground mm-hmm. hip hop. Yet I also love Kirtan, you know, Christian Das, things of that nature. But, um, yeah, so that was like my, my introduction. And that doesn't mean my life automatically <laughs> became unicorns and rainbows because I went through a series of years of, um, returning to drugs and alcohol, even though I'd have one year, two years, five years away from it, really studying these wisdom traditions, studying under various teachers. And, um, so at least the seeds were being planted. Um, and then finally it all kind of <clears throat> came to fruition. And of course it's a daily reprieve, not just for someone who struggles with addiction, but just human beings. Right. And the last point I'll make to that, because I don't mean to hold this conversation hostage, but I remember I was interviewing uh, Father Thomas Keating several years ago, and I'd mentioned to him that I was in recovery from drugs and alcohol. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of your listeners, if not uh, all of them, are pretty familiar with Father Keating's work. He's mm-hmm. an instrumental figure in the mystic Christian and mm-hmm. interfaith uh, lineage, but he laughed, you know, the, a playful laugh, and he said, well, you know, I'm in recovery too, but I'm in recovery from the human condition and the myriad <laughs> ways in which we each suffer. And it was just like, right, I get it. So, yeah, yeah so Chris, that Chris, <clears throat> brought my presence. Hey, hey, Chris, I wanted to ask you, uh, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned uh, uh, those uh, teachers in the area of spirituality that had a, an influence uh, or what books, and at least some of the teachers. But right. one of your first books, maybe your first book, was Indie Spiritualist, A No-Bullshit Exploration of Spirituality. So yeah. that title leads me to believe that you did find a lot of BS in the area of sp- spirituality as well as enlightened teaching. Was, were there particular, uh, you mentioned a couple, but there, were there particular teachers or, or, or books uh, that you uh, felt an affinity toward? Was there a particular path of spirituality that you took? And what was the, some of the, the BS stuff that you saw that you would recommend people keep away from? <laughs> sure. So, I mean, you know, one of the most important books that I tried to read at least once a year, and I'm glad I'm, I'm saying this now because I need to pull it out of my uh, bookshelf, is Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism by Trungpa Rinpoche. And I love that book because it just keeps me in check. I think for many of us, and I include myself in this, um, 
when we first step on the path, uh, we start to, it's almost like a new boyfriend or girlfriend. You know, we get very excited. We romanticize it. It's just, you know, just really fascinating thing. And for certain people, you know, we wear the clothes and we adopt this, the certain, you know, phrases and the malas and we look the part and sound the part and eat the foods and, you know, there's nothing in and of itself wrong with any of that. However, I'll I'll speak in I language here, um, though I do see it happen quite universally with a lot of people, is instead of really cutting away or peeling away, not to be cliche, but peeling away the layers of the onion of my ego, I was just simply trading one identity for another and spiritualizing my ego. And I do find that that, you know, that book came out four years ago and I don't, I'm sure it was happening well before, you know, that, um, a lot of my teachers like Ram Das or Mirabai Star, Mirabai Bush, the whole Maharaji tribe, that's kind of what I guess I identify most with though. I would, mm. if I don't label myself anything, but if I had to, um, I guess the closest it would come is interfaith because again, I, I, I just draw inspiration from the mystic core of, of all the great wisdom traditions as well as outside of quote unquote traditional spirituality. Mm. But yeah, it's just, you know, I address that in that book because I've met so many people who had an interest in spirituality and they grabbed one of the New York Times bestsellers. And not to say that if it's a spiritual book that's a New York Times bestseller, it's garbage because that's, of course, not the case. But a lot of them are very watered down, are very fluffy. I heard a Buddhist monk once call it uh, McMindfulness, um, which I found pretty <laughs> apropos, to be honest, with a lot of it. But but really, there's a danger to that as well, because, you know, it's 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 more of a Band-Aid than anything. You know, I, I love the uh, analogy of gardening. You know, when we're when we're plucking away the weeds, if, if we just cut them you know, it's going to grow back. However, if we actually get to the root of it and pull it out, that's when it's not going to come back. So in correlation to spirituality, that to me is where the real healing happens. And again, speaking in I statements, I find that for myself with the Ram Dasses and Thich Nhat Hans and, and all this Huxley's and, you know, the perennial philosophy and things of that nature, not so much the kind of band-aid here's five steps to fixing your life forever type stuff you see out there. Um, but you know, I, I don't mean to be judgmental and I hear the argument that, Hey, if but it gets you'll someone, do it anyway, I, yes. So I'm going to do it anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Call me on my, on my stuff because you know what? I, I, I appreciate right. that. I'll, I'll call myself out as much as anyone else. And I, I, if you've read any of my books or any, any of your listeners, I throw myself under the bus all the time. But I say that to say this, like, what happens is when I do hear people say like, Hey, you know, maybe it's like a gateway and then they'll go deeper. Sure. Fair enough. But in many cases, if not more than, than, uh, less what I've witnessed over several years. And I speak at a lot of conferences and festivals and I, you know, I talk to a lot of people that isn't the case. They get on the path. It, they get comfortable, you know, because they're doing a little bit of work, scratching the surface. But a lot of this, watered down material isn't asking people to go very deep so they're not getting a lot of you know the, the real healing work done or as Trungpa Rinpoche might say or Pema you know really removing the layers of heart armor that we have uh, often unbeknownst to us 
you know, laid upon ourselves throughout years of being human. And understandably so, life is tough. So, you know, that's part of the danger. And and the last thing I'll say to that is I was speaking with a wonderful writer, Jeff Brown, who, uh, you know, talk about someone who's not afraid to call spirituality out for what it is or, you know, watered down, popularized spirituality. He calls it the new cage movement. Um, now, I know this is a... Uh, a bit of a extreme example, but he talks about a friend who believed that, you know, she had a lot of mental health issues and thought she was going to find her own healing on this kind of light and fluffy watered down spiritual stuff. Cause that's what they promise, you know, like mm-hmm. say the aphorisms, do these, you know, uh, guided meditations and everything's going to be great and fine. And she ended up after a few years committing suicide. Now, again, that is an extreme example. I, I, right. I recognize that. But that is the potential where more harm than good can be done. And, you know, you guys know there's no shortage of guru stories taking advantage of their, you know, disciples or or whomever, their followers, whatever you want to call them. Um, So, you know, that's why I always say I'm an experienced sharer. I don't consider myself a spiritual teacher. I try to distill teachings that have really resonated for me and make them accessible to people, uh, especially the younger generation of seekers who are looking for something more, but you know, their bullshit detectors are finally attuned and Mm -hmm. don't resonate with that. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm trying to do at Mm -hmm. least and, and help people in their healing journeys and spirituality and these teachings for me have been the greatest source of that. However, it's not just that it's other things too, but that's where I find the, yeah, definitely the greatest source. Phil? Well, great. We, I really appreciate the um, no BS um, approach to spirituality because, you know, Dennis and I have been in that world for many, many years. And sure. we've seen we've seen the effects of um, uh, unrealistic expectations and yeah. um, inflated mm-hmm. promises that don't you know let you know that even if you are going deep and even if you're dedicated to your spiritual path, um, there's bumps in the road, and sometimes yeah. the very depth of your past is going to bring up stuff you didn't expect, right. and and life is going to throw you curveballs because we all have our karma, and uh, you know people will die, and and you'll get sick, and you'll lose money or whatever, and it's not yeah. all, and you have to deal with this. So we really appreciate that, and you're dealing, from what I understand, in your. Uh, work not only in your writing but in in all the other work you do uh, you probably uh, not only get uh, young people but um, people who have been through various degrees of hell and um, and you've probably found people who get on a spiritual path and everything seems so much better and life is good and then a year or five years or eight years later uh, something bad happens and they're disillusioned and yeah. uh, they, uh, how do you deal with people who go through that and think all the spiritual <laughs> stuff was, uh, was bullshit itself and sort of want to th- uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater? How, yeah. how do you work with them? Uh, you know, I tell them to honor exactly what is coming up for them in the moment. And if in that moment it feels like absolute bullshit, then don't pretend like it doesn't. Um, 
And, you know, the reason I feel comfortable saying that is another one of my mentors, the dear uh, Mirabai Starr, who is a wonderful mystic scholar of uh, Judaism, Christianity, uh, Sufism. And, you know, she's a it just incredible. Again, she's also in, in the lineage of uh, the Love Server Member Foundation, but uh, and been on our program twice, twice, twice. Oh, yeah. okay. So yeah, and again, I'm familiar. I'm sure yeah. your your listeners mm-hmm. are familiar, but you know, she's fabulous. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and I, she's a, a a legit dear friend, and I've had experiences in life where I've talked to her just as a friend, and and uh, you know, she shared with me and. And I know she wouldn't mind me sharing this, but because she's written about it, her book Caravan of No Despair is one of the most raw, authentic books I have ever read, you know, Mm -hmm. because she talks about times where she's even she, you know, this celebrated spiritual mystic scholar said it's all bullshit. Maharaji, it's all bullshit. You know, like and yeah. none of this means anything. All this practice, all the mantra, all the chanting, it means nothing. And that was her truth in that moment. And she had to honor that. Like the dark, the literal dark night of the soul. Not the, mm-hmm. oh, my life's a little tough, you know, like, no, no, that's <laughs> not the dark night yeah. of the soul. Like the real, like, questioning, the part where you know, you're taken from the divine mother's breast and you are like, you're let go. Like it's time for you to find your way kind of dark night of the soul. Um, and so I tell people, you know, like it's okay to feel disillusioned. It's okay to feel like feel your feelings. That's a big problem that people have is that they're not okay feeling their feelings. And, um, and so that's what I tell them. Yes, of course I, 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 try to suggest like don't completely write off everything that's brought you to the point where you're at today and i say that from my own personal experience because i have been on this path which you know maybe 15 or more years and i know that's not a very long time but in that time i have absolutely questioned you know i mean i've had the direct experiences which leave me in a place beyond questioning, you know, the the non-dual or mystic experience. I know they're two different things, but I've experienced both on several occasions. So I know for myself, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this is a very real thing. Yet I have experienced very traumatic things in my life since then that have left me sincerely questioning, like, what's it all for? What's it all about? What's Mm -hmm. the point? You know, why meditate? Why pray? Why do mantra? Why? Why? And I've stepped away, you know, for months at a time. Yet the funny thing is, even though I ego Chris step away, whatever, whatever was instilled within me in those experiences, those direct experiences uh, that I, I think Andrew Harvey calls them that um, quite often. uh, There's no denying that. So even though, Ego Chris is taking a, a bit of a break. You know, that divinity that's housed within me, even before it was awoken, that's not going anywhere. You know, in my experience, spirit mm-hmm. with a capital S imbues all <clears throat> things at all times. So whether I'm open to it or not, it is there. Right. You know, whether whatever any individual cares to call it, um, you know, I have a, a deep respect for whatever you care to call it or don't call it. Mm-hmm. You know, I. It is what it is. Right. Chris, mm-hmm. I, wanted, I wanted to ask you, uh, chances yeah. are somebody's listening to this podcast uh, 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 now, and we're not streaming live, but when it's posted, they'll listen to it. Yeah. And, and perhaps they're a person that's struggling with addiction, or at a point in your life where they're just 
absolutely depressed. Nothing is working for them. They have no background in spirituality they, or, or spiritual techniques. Uh, they have no financial resources. And they reach out and they say to you, uh, and you can answer them now. Uh, wh- where do I start? What do I do? What do you recommend? Sure. Uh, the first thing I would ask them is, what is your passion in life? Not your greatest passion, but what is a passion? What is one thing that brings you joy? What is something that you like doing? You know, I mean, if it's someone that's in the grips of addiction, first and foremost, and I'm not talking about just abusing, but right. there's a line you cross. If you're in the mm-hmm. grips of addiction, first thing is, if you're ready, you need to get help. And by ready, I mean the only person that can get help is you, you know, like, or the only person that can get help for me is me. My family and friends can want me to get better, but at the end of the day, I am the one that can make that. I'm the only one that can make that decision unless I'm court ordered, of course. But other than that, I have to be the one who wants to get better. So that, let me just say that and get that out of the way. If it's someone who's just, you know, like, I don't know where to start. I'm, I'm feeling a bit jaded or cynical, um, et cetera. Start with your passion. Like I said, to me, I truly believe spirit imbues all things. So whether it is creating art, whether it is skateboarding, hiking, um, any kind of, um, I mean, literally anything, whatever you find passion in, that's where you start. And I learned that from uh, Tara Brock because I asked her the very same question. I remember this is about four years ago. um, I was speaking at a college and someone asked me a similar question and I was stumped. You know, I was like, man, I, I'm not sure. Cause up to that point I had been doing a lot of work with, um, people from, from the generation of my age or older. Cause I, my podcast is hosted over on Ron, Ram Dass's network. So, you know, I deal with a lot of people there who've been on the path for quite a while, but I, you know, that totally took me off guard and I am obviously, I'm not going to lie to them. So I said, you know, I really don't know. But here's my email address, and I gave it to them. And I said, let me let me look into this. Let me think about this. Let me talk to some people and get back to you. And I happened to have a, uh, a conversation with Tara Brock coming up the following week. And, and that was the advice she gave me. And ever since then, because um, I do a great amount of work with the younger generation, and I'm talking – I do three workshops a month in a mental uh, health and well-being facility for young uh, boys and girls or, you know, teenagers, young adults, ages 13 through 20. And again, many of them are jaded or cynical towards this idea. But when I approach them in that way, in a way that invites them to find it for themselves or start there, start finding it for themselves, that opens them up. Not all of them, you know, it's not always going to work, but, you know, I'd say eight out of 10 cases it, you know, it's like, oh, it's okay for me to find it for myself. Yes, start there. But then once you start to go a little bit deeper, that's where, you know, finding friends, finding a teacher, finding a guide, finding whatever your heart calls you to in an authentic way, that's, you know, that's where you start to really go deeper into the path and the practice, whatever that looks like for you in your life. But start from where you are. Mm-hmm. You know, start with your passions. That's what I would say. Chris, um, let's talk about your your new book um, and um, Dead Set on Living, uh, making the difficult but beautiful journey from 
fucking up to waking up. We can say that, can't we? Dennis? We're, We're a podcast, I think so, yeah. <laughs> uh, Our airwaves are free. Although, although on the book cover, there are asterisks yeah. instead of... Against, or, uh, but, yes, against my better judgment. But, uh, <laughs> when you're being published uh, by Simon & Schuster, you have to play yeah, the game. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I love the subtitle because we've all done that. We've all yeah. been there. Um, I have two questions. One, why the title, Dead Set on Living? Yeah. Second, um, <clears throat> the bulk of the book consists of uh, interviews, transcribed yeah. interviews that you did with uh, people, um, spiritual teachers and experts, and, and some of whom are friends of, of ours and have been on the show, like Mirabai and Sally Kempton and Ken Wilbur. Uh, others uh, are familiar names to me, but there are also some I don't know. Mm. Um, so my second question after the title is, yeah. um, how did you choose the people uh, to include in the book, and what what were the common themes that you were exploring? Absolutely. So yeah, the the title is based off of um, essentially going back a few years. Um, my marriage. Uh, I'm divorced now, but I was married um, for several years, and. I live in Connecticut now, but uh, I got married. I moved to Canada because that's where my wife and stepdaughter were living. And the marriage was not doing so well. And um, I suffered a relapse to alcohol. And that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back for the marriage. And um, and it was a 24-hour relapse. It started with some Percocets that I'd been prescribed for root canal. And uh, I was on the 16-hour bus ride back from Hartford, Connecticut to Ottawa. And during a layover, I got some boxes of wine. I normally am more of a, a hard liquor drinker when I relapse, which has uh, prior to that, it had been like five years since I'd had a drink. Um, but there was no hard liquor. So I bought, you know, these boxes of wine and a Powerade bottle and dumped them in. So it looked like I had Powerade so I could drink on the bus and then got to Montreal and found an actual package store because I had a, like a two-hour layover and uh, and got a fifth of vodka and got home very late. Don't remember getting back to Ottawa. Don't remember getting a taxi. Mm -hmm. Don't remember stumbling in the apartment. I know my wife and stepdaughter were already asleep. But uh, yeah, I woke up the next morning and my wife knew I'd been drinking and... Um, I mean, this is all in the uh, preface to the book, but um, yes, vividly described. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm just I'm. It's not that I'm not in, I'm not intentionally not vividly describing. It's just I know we have a, a time restraint yeah. here. So, um, to, just to kind of give you the nutshell. So, you know, she. It was at that point we kind of knew the marriage was over, and she's like, "Yeah, you need to go." So, I mean, literally after a 16-hour bus ride back, you know, all day. My my bag was still packed. I just I booked a plane ticket, um, got a cab, went to Ottawa uh, International. Was very ill. Had stopped on the way, got more alcohol. Was drinking at the airport. Had to go over in Toronto, drank more there. Got home, and at this point, um, my parents picked me up. They brought me back home, but I was I was unresponsive by the time we got to their house. So they brought me to the emergency room. I woke up the next morning intubated, which means I had a tube, one tube in my stomach trying to soak out the alcohol and, and whatever else was in there. And 
the other tube was in my throat breathing for me because I was no longer breathing on my own. And uh, and so anyways, it like I do say in the book, it looked like a suicide attempt, essentially, though it absolutely wasn't. It was just a matter of a lot of drinking and not really eating very much. And mm-hmm. uh, and also having not drank for like five years at that point. Um, so. Anyways, uh, I was out for a run. This fast forward a few weeks later, uh, and um, and I'm back out running because running's a, a big part of my well being. And it just hit me like, you know, like I knew I didn't want to go back down that road. I'd spent, like I'd mentioned earlier, a lot of time working with very spiritual practices and meditations and and learning to love myself. Um, on a good day, you know, like I still struggle with self-worth issues and whatnot, but on a good day, you know, I love myself um, enough to not want to go back down that road. And so, you know, it's just like I was out running and it's like, man, I'm I'm dead set on living today. Like, and so that's where the title came from. The subtitle um, was just like me and, and the publisher working out, like, what should the subtitle be? Mm-hmm. You know, we went through a variation of things, but we thought that was most fitting. And then... Regarding the second part of the question, uh, you know, this is my third book. So aside from the preface and introduction, which explain what happened and why I wrote the book, the underlying arc of the book is exploring the question, why do we engage in these behaviors? And not just it's not a book about drugs and alcohol. It's a book about any behaviors that are detrimental to our well-being. So whether it's empty sex, shopping, um, internet addiction, porn addiction, uh, binging on TV, uh, gambling, I mean, anything, literally, uh, overeating, it covers all of this. And so that was the arc, was exploring why do we engage in these behaviors, or if we've had time away from them, why do we return to them? But most importantly, what can we do to sincerely begin deepening our healing journeys so at the end of every conversation there's a corresponding practice and so the reason i chose the people i chose is they have all in one way or another influenced me in my healing journey and what i wanted to do with the understanding that we are all unique individuals was make this book as accessible to as many people as possible. So to t- to look at it from as many different perspectives as possible. So you do have the spiritual teachers like Ram Dass and, and Sharon Salzberg, but then you have um, doctors like Lisa Rankin, who's a New York Times bestseller, or Michael Taft, who um, does a lot of work in neuroscience uh, as well as mindfulness, or a hip-hop artist like Jay Ivey, who... His, he's also a, a wonderful author and talks quite a bit about forgiveness and writing and um, who else? I mean, there's just so many different voices. Sarah Beek, who I love. She's a Sounds True author. Duncan Trussell, who's a wonderful comedian, yet brilliant, um, brilliant mind and um, a big part of the Ram Dass uh, family. And as you mentioned, Sally Kempton's in the chapter and um, Ken Wilber's in the chapter and just a whole barrage of different people uh and again different viewpoints but all exploring kind of this same mm-hmm. topic of healing from different vantage points and different practices and uh and and eating disorders i mean really it's just i wanted to put it all out there i didn't want to just do an addiction recovery book i wanted to do a uh and not just a a general self-healing but like let's really get into let's talk about it 
but let's also give the practices where people can really go deep into their journeys. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the beautiful thing is it's now I've received, it's only been out for less than a month, but I've received a lot of um, emails, not just from individuals, but from rehab facilities that are making it part of their curriculum. Okay. Um, the, Fabulous. That youth, yeah, that that's so humbling to me right. to hear that. Um, right. the, the facility I mentioned that I go in two, three times a month here, it's become part of their extended curriculum, so I actually get to teach it um, there with with these young adults, and uh, and it's just wonderful to hear from people struggling with addictions or family members of those who have uh, you know people with eating disorders or just your quote unquote average person who's struggling, you know, and mm-hmm. and you know like it it gives them insights and wow, I never thought about it this way or that way, and that's what I love is it's not an anthology, it's it's literally just these narrative conversations, you know, so it's not a Q and a, it's a, again, I interweave my own story cause I, who better to use as a t- test subject, but myself. Um, but it's a, it's also presented in a very universal way that it is accessible to, to anyone from whether you're a teenager to in your sixties or seventies. And it's, you know, it's just applicable, I believe to all beings, regardless of whether you're atheist, spiritual, you know, Christian, Jewish, um, interfaith, whatever. Like, if you're a human being that's breathing, I believe it. I believe wholeheartedly, it's a book that all beings can benefit from. And that's not said from a crisscross of ego perspective. I attribute more of that to the insights and wisdom of the contributors more than anything. And I'm infinitely grateful to them. Chris, thank Great. thank you so much for your time today. The book again, Dead Set on Living, Chris Grosso, G-R-O-S-S-O. We'll have all that information up on our podcast. Uh, uh, great time. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you, Dennis and Phil. It's a real pleasure. I appreciate what you guys are doing and your time. Thank you so much. Thank you and continued success in your work. And vice versa. Thank you very, very much.